Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Welcome to The Connector. My name is Jennifer Heiss, and I'm the Communications Director here with the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State University. I am absolutely thrilled to host today's podcast with our special guest, Melissa Hart. We're less than a month away from the 2024 Emerging Issues Forum on February 13th. This year's topic is financial resilience, which if you don't know, it is the ability for households to withstand and recover from unexpected economic challenges. There's not one specific time or stage in a person's life when they prepare to be financially resilient. So when we started planning the forum, the team here at IEI wanted to make sure that we were engaging with students and young adults who may be starting their financial journey. So in order to do that, we reached out to our guest today, Melissa Hart, to help us make that connection. Melissa is a senior lecturer in finance at NC State University's Poole College of Management, as well as an adjunct professor at UNC Chapel Hill. She teaches undergraduate and graduate level courses in corporate and personal finance, has authored three textbooks on the subject, and also sits on the Financial Literacy Council for North Carolina. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here, and I hope that we create a huge impact for the state and uh, you know uh, any other venue that we can reach. This is an important topic that we need to really be focused on because, as you mentioned, there are multiple stages that people can get engaged with and also have challenges with. Um, it just doesn't just have an impact on young adults. It has an impact on older adults. Uh, I talk to retirees that are having issues with financial resilience. And so there's lots of different areas and lots of different ages and stages. Well, I'm so glad that you just used the word impact because you are having an impact on students at NC State, at UNC, with your classes. I have been told that your classes are so in demand that there are faculty and staff who even want to attend. Um, And personally, that makes me really excited and interested in that. Um, But one of the things that we learned as we started planning the Emerging Issues Forum for this year is that up until this academic year that we're in right now, there hasn't been a definitive point for anybody, whether it be a student or an adult, in their life when they are guaranteed to get any sort of personal finance or, any, or economic training in North Carolina. Now, that has recently changed. Um, we have joined a group of states requiring that everyone attending a public high school pass a personal finance course in order to graduate. Um, so my question for you, since you are working with students who are coming out of high school, uh, do you think that this one high school class is enough? And do you think that we should start teaching kids about this earlier on? Yeah, so, so a couple of things to think about is sort of the history of where this sort of started. Personal finance as an elective was available at the high school level for many years. And so what that meant was that if a student chose it or prob- probably a parent said, this is what you need to take, was more likely happening. And so it was in the what they call CTE section, which is career and technical education when the state started sort of mandating this high school class, what that did was sort of move where those classes were housed 
over into the social studies requirements. And they did that because social studies, everyone must take as they make their way through high school. So I, while I liked the idea of having that one high school standalone class, like I said, it was sort of pick and choose. The ones that wanted it took it and the ones that didn't, didn't take it. So now everyone has to take it. But what's still in process is where does it best fit in? And also the teachers are different. The career and technical education teachers are no longer offering it. The high school history and social studies teachers are now offering it. So they're trying to find ways to sort of integrate it into their curriculum. Now, the curriculum itself is fantastic. I've actually reviewed that with the Financial Literacy Council, as well as the Department of Public Instruction. And it's it's wonderful. The challenge is where exactly does it fit? At what point in which class in which school do you get it? So I think there's going to be a little bit of time before we sort of say, okay, everybody has this base knowledge. But I think one high school class is definitely a start or one, a variety of high school classes and sort of integrating it into the pieces are, is definitely a start. Um, I'm a huge fan of basic money skills starting very, very young. I remember one thing that I used to do with my children when they were growing up and is this, I call it the grocery store. And so my kids, they always wanted the name brand of anything. And so what I would give them was a certain dollar amount and they could choose what items they wanted to upgrade from the store brand to the dollar amount. And my husband actually was the one that sort of started it and then we kind of started to run with it. And and it got very, very competitive and they actually had to start like dealing together to decide how they were going to get to that upgraded cereal and how they were going to get the upgraded, the Go-Gurts. I remember the Go-Gurts were a big thing. And then they were like, this is what I need. And I was like, well, if you need it that bad, you're going to have to pay with your money to upgrade it. So that was starting out at a pretty young age. I think I was the only one in the store with children with calculators running around. <laughs> <laughs> um, and allowances. Um, a big thing, a lot of people, you know, allowances sort of come and go. But I think you still have to have, have an allowance for work, not just because it's Monday. Right. What are you going to do to earn this money? And when you do spend it, I always, it's better to have buyer's remorse with $10 than a hundred. So, you know, let them spend it on whatever that you think that they think they need and that you might think is a bad idea. But the reality is you learn from those mistakes right. and learn at a lower amount. So now um, let me ask you a follow-up question on that. So now that this class is required in all public schools in North Carolina, and it's been required from what I understand, some uh, districts have been implementing it for the last several years. I think this is the last year that districts had in order to implement it. Um, are you seeing any differences in the knowledge um, of the students that are coming into your class now, maybe compared to a, a few years ago when this wasn't a requirement? So the level of knowledge is definitely varying considerably. Um, and I have the students do an introduction assignment at the beginning of each semester. And so they'll enter in um, the, what I ask them, sort of what skills do you, and knowledge do you have about personal finance? And so I'm getting a lot of responses that say, you know, I've, took a, I've taken a class. I'm getting some responses that say, you know, I now manage my own bills on campus. And some of them say, 
I have no idea. That's why I'm here. And, that, and that's okay. So it's varying considerably. And I, I think that's going to take a little while to sort of level out. Uh, the other thing that we're doing um, on campus right now at NC State, which I love, is that we have not actually offered uh, the personal finance class in person for almost, I think it's been about 10 years now. And now we're, we brought it back and we put it in an auditorium. Mm -hmm. And then we also added a couple of other distance education sections because we wanted to reach a few more people. Uh, we were very, very fortunate to get a little uh, financial assistance from PNC Bank to help us sort of expand that program. And we literally went from 100 people two semesters ago to 200 people. We're now a little bit over 300 what wow. was interesting is that during registration, I was watching these numbers like a hawk. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. It was like a game show. And the distance education was filling up. And I thought, well, maybe it'll take a little while for that auditorium to fill up. It filled up so quickly. And the wait list is huge. And um, I, 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 I really think that probably if we put about four or 500 seats, we probably still would have a wait list. So it's a, it's a very... It's, it's a topic that students are very, very interested in, and, and they're concerned. There's a lot of concerns about, like, what do I do when I graduate, and what does that look like? And, um, you know, they, they, they know what they know about their major, but they may not know what they need to know about their finances. Sure. Well, and that's a perfect segue to my next question for you, which is, um, what do you think young adults, so not necessarily college students, maybe students who you know have not entered college or just young adults in general, what do you think that they need to know about personal finance by the time that they enter the working world? It's a big list. It's a big yeah, list. I'm sure it is. That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. What um, a lot of times, I, the other thing do, I do is I ask the students to go ask their parents what the biggest financial mistake they ever made is. And some parents are very, very open and honest. And some are like, oh, I have never made a financial mistake. You know, I'm like, oh, and we all have. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just how much did it hurt you along the way? And uh, so I think that basic money management skills are very, very important. Uh, budgeting, sort of that cash flow analysis, the debt management uh, that that most people struggle with, and and those are the the three key areas in money management that we get a lot of responses back about making mistakes. Uh, so you know their parents will say, you know, I really didn't budget very well. I got into a whole lot of debt. I really didn't know how much I made versus how much I was spending. Obviously, that's part of budgeting as well, cash flow analysis. But then there's some other topics that that people sometimes graduate and they, they're trying to figure out on, on their own and, and that makes it a struggle. Uh, basic banking skills. What do I, where do I keep money that I want for short-term versus long-term? Uh, you know, what, what is a checking account for? What is a savings account for? What is a money market account for? And how do I sort of make all of those sort of line up and work the best for me? I mean, I always tell my students, you know, the reality is you're running a business, you know, your life is your financial business. You're running this business. You want it to be the most efficient as possible. Uh, a couple of other areas. And we, I have a, 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 I am the advisor of a financial literacy club and we do a, a topic on credit at least 
once a year, sometimes once a semester, and uh, it gets the most questions. Sort of understanding credit is a basic skill that a lot of people struggle with and and they get into issues with and have challenges. And probably lastly, understanding basic insurance. What is a deductible? What is a copay? What is coinsurance? These are not terms you want to try to have to figure out when you're sitting in the emergency room. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) You want to have an idea of what you're getting into. Uh, Obviously, if you're in an emergency room, it's not the time to negotiate the prices. But at the same time, you want to know what you're getting into. How much could this possibly cost me? Well, you're you're absolutely right, Melissa. Um, One thing that I have noticed and that our team has noticed, especially as we're planning this forum, is just the role that technology is playing, obviously, when it comes to accessing information about personal finance, uh, services, products, and so on and so forth. Um, Obviously, Gen Z is embracing this as our digital natives um, and digital adopters. So what do you make of this trend, especially from your perspective as an instructor on this topic? I think there's some really positive messages coming out of technology. Instagram, especially TikTok, it really just helps to get people more engaged in their financial lives. Um, You know, of course, there's some silly stuff. We've all heard about girl math. And if you haven't heard about girl math, uh, we talk about the girl math actually in my class, Um, you know, adding more items on to get free shipping. It does not make it more free uh, overall. Um, uh, Another one that's really popular, if you preload a Starbucks card or a Chick-fil-A card, that doesn't make the Starbucks or Chick-fil-A free next week. Uh, You still had to pay for it. Right. And items under $5 are are not free. Uh, Those are sort of a couple of the tenets of girl math. But I think that there's a lot of other positive messages. And I think just getting people sort of engaged and involved in sort of what what do I need to be thinking about? Uh, You're not going to get the full detail on TikTok, but maybe you might get enough information that you might want to go look something up and try to figure out what that means. Sure. Well, you know, speaking of TikTok and Instagram, um, FOMO is a real thing, you know, fear of missing out when you're seeing things on social media. Um, so we've seen, you know, a lot of people investing in more riskier investments because they're seeing people on TikTok, Instagram, and other social media platforms doing that same thing. Um, so in your perspective, how do we help put people in a position to make more financially responsible decisions despite what they're seeing their peers do on social media. So this is a really interesting one that actually goes across all age groups Uh, because I always tell any group that I'm talking to, whether it be a group of retirees or a group of college students, is that if you are in an investment that keeps you up at night and you don't understand, you're probably invested in the wrong thing. And so what happens is that, you know, you have to gain that knowledge, figure out what it is, and don't let the platform tell you what it is. Do your own outside research, because I'm sure we could pull up how to trade in options right about now, and we could, you know, in five minutes be assured that we were the most amazing options trader out there, but then we go and buy this and go, oh my gosh, what exactly are we invested in? Well, you know, that's going to keep me up at night. And so knowledge is the key and helping people sort of understand what they need to know 
is very, very important. And don't just stay with one platform over another. Get information from a variety of platforms so you can sort of compare and contrast. It's really, it's almost critical thinking in terms of investing. Does this make sense? Does this seem like a good idea? If everything is trending on social media about this one investment and you're just now finding out about it, you're probably late. We probably missed it. <laughs> well, speaking, you know, speaking of doing your own research, um, there is obviously so much information available online, in books, on podcasts. Um, do you have any recommendations um, for places where people can just go to just get a general uh, sense of the information that they're looking into? So I am a huge fan of Kiplinger's Personal Finance. They've been around for 75 years and I love their, you know, for the old folks, I love the magazine. Uh, and, but then their, their website is really, really helpful. Uh, nerd wallet also does a really good job of sort of giving some basics and then you can sort of dig down a little deep on nerd wallet. Uh, I'm also a really big fan of podcasts. So whenever I'm driving in the car, nine times out of 10, I have a podcast on. And uh, there are some really, really good ones that are nice and brief, kind of give you a little bit of a taste. Uh, some of my favorites are like Planet Money is a good one. Uh, Your Money, Your Wealth, I really like. Uh, I oftentimes uh, tell my students Smart Money by Nerd Wallet is a really good one. And why I tell my students that is that it's a little bit more basic, just a few more basic ideas. Uh, when I have older clients that I'm talking to and, and different uh, settings that I'm speaking to uh, older folks, I Morning Brew Daily is a good one, and also Your Money Briefing by the Wall Street Journal. So like I said, huge fan of podcasts. Um, I actually have them set up where they just shuffle for me. So, you know, I do mix a few little true crimes in there every once in a while. So I might get a little bit of wealth and money management. And then all of a sudden we're on to Dateline for a few minutes and then I come <laughs> back. <laughs> you got to mix it up sometimes. You, you know? do, you do. But really the point here is that find an outlet that it's engaging and keep learning because there's no class, there's no article that you're going to read that's going to just stay stagnant and always be the information that you need. Um, no plan is a plan. And what that means is if you're not moving, everything else is. So, you know, keep learning, keep sort of engaged in your sort of financial future. You are running a business. That's fantastic advice. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, Melissa, I've got a great question for you. If you were given a magic wand, what would you do to help North Carolinians get the financial education they need? You know, I am a super big fan of the magic wand. You know, I think that uh, the one challenge, though, is that it's a little bit difficult to answer this because the most important aspect of personal finance is that it's personal. Every person at the forum, every person in society has a different variation on their own sort of personal financial goals, 
their available personal finances. So, you know, student loans, major purchases, everybody has something a little bit different. So my magic wand would be that before anything, I call them red flag moments. Before any red flag moment, any big thing that's about to happen, I would love that everybody would have to sort of have a little sort of learning module. So I'm getting ready to buy this car. What are some things that I need to know? I don't want to learn that at the car dealership, but what are some things that I need to know? I'm getting ready to buy health insurance. What are some things that I need to know? I would love that every this sort of magical learning module would sort of pop down and go, stop, here's what you need to know, and sort of, and then you could proceed. And I think people would be a whole lot more knowledgeable and probably would get in a whole lot less financial troubles. So before we wrap this up, um, I do, of course, want to circle back to the Emerging Issues Forum because that is our big event that we have coming up. Um, This year, we are offering scholarships to any student at a two- or four-year school in the state, public or private, undergraduate, graduate, community college, doesn't matter, um, to attend our forum for free. So students who receive a scholarship they will attend a webinar before and after the forum that you will be leading. Can you tell us a little bit about what they can expect? I can. I can. I'm super excited about this because this is a very small group setting of, of folks that I get to sort of help get them started on understanding what they're going to see at the forum so that they get a little bit more knowledge and, and, and get a little bit more prepared. It's an, a fantastic networking opportunity to participate in the forum. And then afterwards, we're going to do a little bit of a debrief. I'll be at the forum and then I can also sort of share, here are some things that I took from it. What did you take from it? And we can kind of discuss some of the things and, and, and I'm hoping I can also use that venue to sort of tell them if you're thinking about this, here's some other areas that you might want to research or, you know, even tools that they can look at uh, later on or listen to. And uh, maybe they'll also share some TikToks with me. I don't know. I'm hoping. Right. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> Well, we look forward to having you and all of our scholarship recipients, of course, at this year's forum. So just a reminder to our listeners, we are accepting scholarship applications from students, as well as those who identify costs as a potential barrier to attending the forum from now through January 31st. You can learn more by visiting emergingissues.org. So thank you so much to Melissa Hart for joining us today. To learn more about the 2024 Emerging Issues Forum and to get your ticket, visit emergingissues.org. Thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, let's all stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.